Hi again, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for downloading the Bengals Booth Podcast. The powerhouse is a very, very, very fine house. Edition, as the Bengals play a home game for just the second time in six weeks as they host the Atlanta Falcons. Coming up, Sirius XM NFL radio host Solomon Wilcox joins me to discuss the state of the Bengals after six games. Dave Lapham weighs in on why the Bengals scored a season-high 30 points last week. I'll chat with defensive tackle Jay Tufele, who is going to play an important role with DJ Reader and Josh Tupo out with injuries. And in our Know the Foe segment, we'll get the latest on the Falcons from their longtime radio voice, Wes Durham. The Bengals Booth Podcast is brought to you by Kettering Health, the official health care provider of the Bengals. With more than 120 care facilities and 1,500 care providers, Kettering Health is committed to guiding you to your best health. Visit KetteringHealth.org to learn more. Now, here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. It's the greatest thing since this week's Rulers of the Jungle. On Sunday at Paycor Stadium, the pregame Who Day chant will be led by former Bengal Devin Still and his daughter, Leia. In 2014, when Devin was in his third season with the Bengals, Leia was diagnosed with a rare form of cancer. She was just four years old at the time. She's 12 now and cancer-free, and it is going to be awesome to see Devin and Leia on the throne in the jungle this Sunday. Now, let's look ahead to this week's game, beginning with a former Bengal turned Emmy Award-winning broadcaster. It is always great to catch up with former Bengals Super Bowl safety Solomon Wilcots, the host of the opening drive on Sirius XM NFL Radio. Solly, it's been a bit of a bumpy ride so far for the Bengals, but they find themselves tied for first in the AFC North at 3-3. Three and three. Assess the team through the first six games of the season. Well, look, it was a bumpy start. There's no doubt about it. You get off to the 0-2 start, then you get even at 2-2. Two and two. Um, I think it's clear that in this league, if you get into a two- or three-game hole, man, it's tough to work your way out of it because you've got to spend so much energy just getting back to 500, and then you lose the next game, and then next thing you know, we're 2-3. and three. Uh, But we were fortunate. I thought the game against the New Orleans Saints, it was the best we played on offense anyway in terms of uh, just having good balance, ran the ball very good with Joe Mixon, and then obviously forcing them to come out of the double coverage that Jamar Chase had been getting for the first month of the season. Once he gets single coverage, he's as good as open (laughs) all day. And um, so I, I really do think the Saints game was not our best game as a football team, but it was certainly the best game for the offense. I thought we played very well in the, in the, Thursday night game against Miami was probably our most complete game offensively and defensively. Sally, we knew it might take a while for the offensive line to gel. Do you see that happening? Yeah, but we still have a ways to go. You know, that goes to show you that in this game, practice matters, time spent together, playing within um, a a system for coaches, that matters. Um, And yeah, you can go spend the money But just because you throw a bunch of guys together with really good names on the back of their jerseys, as Dick LeBeau would say, it doesn't make you a good football team. Uh, The ability to play together and have that chemistry and even the nonverbal communication goes such a long way 
into helping you to be able to perform at a high level. And that's why you see the Buffalo Bills sort of in their position. These are players that have been on the team. They did add a Von Miller to help the younger guys to improve. But these are players that have been playing together for a while in the same system offensively and on defense that they've kept it intact. And you see them playing at a very high level now. We are visiting with former Bengal safety Solomon Wilcox. You were part of one of the great secondaries in franchise history, the SWAT team. The current group has adopted the nickname the Cleanup Crew. What stands out when you watch this group play? Um, Chidabe Awuzie. He's the um, uh, just consistent in coverage and a very good tackler uh, when asked to, right? Um, and I think uh, our safety tandem of Jesse Bates and Vaughn Bell um, they're, I mean, just a really good all-around group. Great in coverage, great against the run. They're not afraid to lay their pads on people, which seem to be something that uh, we don't ask players to do a whole lot in today's NFL. But these guys are, are very willing tacklers. Um, they understand and embrace the physical part of the game. Um, and so I, I love the depth and versatility that they have in this secondary. Uh, and they're just going to continue to get better. What was your reaction last Sunday when Joe Burrow walked into the Superdome wearing a game-used Jamar Chase LSU jersey? You know, I said this on our podcast, the Believe in Bingo podcast with Adam Pacman Jones. I said, this was like, you know, Babe Ruth. We all know it's kind of folklore where Babe Ruth, he pointed to left field with his bat. Next thing you know, he knocks it out of the park and he hits it to left field. And as you well know, being the tried and true professional broadcaster that you are, that's called calling your shot, right? It's sort of a, a nonverbal communication saying, here's what I'm about to do, and then you do it. So that was Joe Burrow saying, we're getting ready to have a big day, and here's the guy that I'm going to be throwing the ball to. Here's the guy that's going like, to beat you all day. And, and that's exactly what happened. 15-yard touchdown pass to Jamar Chase, and then the 60-yard game winner to break it all open. Um, I, I know they didn't have a cigar after this one, but they could have. <laughs> they could have. <laughs> Sally, you were part of the Super Bowl team in 1988. It obviously took a while for the Bengals to get back. How confident are you that the Bengals will return to the Super Bowl in the Joe Burrow era? I'm confident of that. Um, but it's not going to be easy, right? The AFC is loaded. The other teams have good quarterbacks too. They understand the metrics of you've got to be good at the quarterback position. You've got to be good on the back end of your defense. Defenses today in our NFL are built from the back to the front. Um, Bill Belichick understands that. Sean McDermott in Buffalo understands that. Um, the Eagles uh, in Philadelphia understand it. Um, and so... Um, you've got to be able to, to keep people from throwing the ball over your head. And when they do try, you you got to be able to pick it off. And you better have a good pass rush. And I think the Rams showed us that. I think Vaughn Miller jumping over to the Buffalo Bills, I think, speaks to more of that. Um, and so, no, I, I think we got to continue to build around Joe. But he is, I think he's invested, not just improving his game, but making this one of the model franchises. And as we've seen, people want to play with him. So, um, he's the force multiplier, and you've got to have one of those. That's what Indianapolis had in a Peyton Manning. That's what uh, the Patriots had in Tom Brady, and the Packers have had so long with Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers. And we like to believe that we have that same thing at quarterback in Joe Burrow.
So the Falcons come to town this Sunday. Atlanta's rush for at least 150 yards in five out of six games is stopping the run, is holding the Falcons to a reasonable number, the biggest key on Sunday. Yeah, I mean, here's a couple of things. You got to keep them under a buck 50 because they've been over 150 each of the last three games. I mean, I, when they got 150 plus yards on Tampa, I was really impressed. And they did that two weeks ago. Three weeks ago, they went for 200 against Cleveland. And then last week against the really good 49er defense, I think they had 168 yards uh, rushing the football. And they have the fewest three and outs of any offense in the National Football League. So they know how to stay on the field on third down. So that's what we have to do defensively. We're going to have to hold up against their run game, but we got to get them off the field when they get to third down. Uh, more importantly, our offense can help with this, right? If And Joe Burrow, I think, uh, alluded to that. If your offense can get a 10-point lead um, and keep and stay ahead on the scoreboard, Arthur Smith is not going to stick with that run game. There's no NFL offense that's going to keep looking at that scoreboard. You down by two scores and you're going to call yourself running your way back into the ball game. You're going to have to start throwing it. Right now, the Atlanta Falcons only average about 23 pass attempts per game, uh, one of the lowest in the league. So they clearly don't want Marcus Mariota throwing the ball. They'd rather have him running the ball and not just our defense, but our offense can play a role and forcing them to do the things they don't want to do, and that's have to throw the football. Let me follow up on Marcus Mariota. I'll be honest, I thought Desmond Ritter would be starting for the Falcons by week seven of the season, but Mariota has played well. He completed 13 passes in a row last week in that win over the 49ers. What do you think of Marcus Mariota at this stage of his career? He, he's serviceable. I, I've always liked Marcus, even when he was in, in Tennessee. I thought, um, put in the right offense, the guy is a, He's just a really fine young man. He does all the right things. His teammates love him. They really do. And Arthur Smith understood it. That's why he went and traded for him, you know, even though Marcus Mariota went to the Raiders. But when Arthur Smith had been the offensive coordinator with the Titans, he had had Marcus Mariota there with him. And since he became the head coach over in Atlanta, he felt that Marcus would be a low-cost um, assembly to this offense. And it's worked out. Listen, he's saving the team money. I'm talking about the head coach now. He improved the quarterback position with where the team is today and also uh, lower the cost for what they have to pay for a quarterback. That, to me, that's what good coaches do. They find a way to make the team better without having to break the owner's wallet to do it. Um, and that's why Arthur Smith, look, he has his team tied for first place in the NFC North, or excuse me, in the NFC South division. Last thing for Solomon Wilcox, DJ Reader's out. He's missed three games. Josh Tupo is going to be out this week. Logan Wilson is questionable with a shoulder injury. How big of an issue is that for a defense when the spine, the guys in the middle, are out or might be out? Look, I said this is the game that we need DJ Ritter. I mean, we, I mean, if he's back in this game, I'm very confident they're not going to be able to run the ball on us. Now you take Josh Tupo out. Man, that makes it really tough. I mean, you've got to be able to hold up at the point in the middle of your defense, particularly against teams like this that are going to run at 30, close to almost 40 times in a ball game. And you need to have the rotation on your defensive line. Um, I think the rookie, you know, Zach Carter, I think he'll hold up well. He's a durable, very versatile guy, but he is a rookie. 
Um, he can play both the run and penetrate and get uh, pressure on the quarterback equally as well. It's a big spot for him, but it's more than just about him. I think it's it's going to be about the rotation of those guys on the interior. Um, let's see how we do. It's going to be a real challenge. Sally, always appreciate your time and your insight. Keep up the great work and thanks again. Thanks, Dan. Greatly appreciate you. Thanks for having me. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Bengals Picks and Ultimate Bengals. They're free to play with tickets and signed merchandise up for grabs. Find both inside the Bengals app. Solomon Wilcots called last week's game against the Saints the Bengals' best offensive performance of the season. The numbers back it up as the Bengals scored 30 or more points for the first time in 11 games going back to last year. Joe Burrow had a season-high passer rating of 126, Jamar Chase had a season-high 132 receiving yards, and while the Bengals only ran the ball 14 times, those runs averaged 5.4 yards. So, has the offense turned a corner? Here's my broadcast partner, Dave Lapham. From an identity standpoint, what they found out is accentuate the positive and stay away from things they're not doing quite as well. They were trying to, I thought, I thought, force the issue a little bit with the stretch running game. You know, they're trying to get that ball outside, outside zone, stretch game, and they had mixed results with it. What they're doing now, I really like. Gap stuff, you know, you seal, seal the, uh, the edge, pull a lineman, power, gap blocking, power, getting one more go- uh, player at the point of attack than they have on the defensive side of it. Double teaming, coming off at the linebacker level in between the tackles. Just hammering the ball, let Joe Mixon square his shoulder pads up and go downhill. I think that's their run game identity. I think they found that to be the case. The other one, you know, it should be instead of the uh, power inside running game being an appetizer to the main course of the stretch, reverse it. Let the, let the, the full meal be that power running game and the appetizer be the outside game. You know, just don't don't try to force you to do things that you're not able to get done as, as a football team. Accentuate your strengths and minimize your weaknesses, you know. And I, I, I think that's a, a, a big factor. The other thing, that RPO, that run-pass option game now, I, I think that they found out that they're a team that – fits from a personnel standpoint with the big, powerful guys they have inside, running the ball from the shotgun, and then RPO, it's like the play-action look from the shotgun. And I'm telling you, looking at tape, Joe Mixon could have rushed for over 100 yards. There were huge gaps in there in in the defensive front for the Saints. I mean, they were gashing them. And Joe would pull it out of there and throw it because he was gashing them in the passing game. So when you're in a situation where you look at it after the fact – and could have run it for good yards and throw it for good yards, you got the linebackers saying, what do I do? And that's exactly what happened. The linebackers were frozen. I mean, the linebackers didn't know what to do. And, and when, you can, when you can take control of it that way and you're punching and making them counterpunch and they don't know what to do to counterpunch, you're going to score 30 points like they did. So <clears throat> I think we're going to see them accentuate. They found out who they are, accentuate those positives, and don't try to force feed things that, you know, you found out you can't really do. But you're going to have to be able to do it at some point because somebody's going to come up with a defensive game plan 
it's it's all, in the NFL. It's all about adjustments, and they're gonna they're gonna face somebody who is gonna say, "All right, I've come up with a way to take away this RPO stuff in the inside running game. What do you got?" So, it's the NFL. You're always evolving, and that's that's the key to success in this league. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Alta Fiber, future-proof fiber internet capable of delivering multi-gigabit speeds designed to take your home, business, and community to a new level. Elevate your connection with Alta Fiber. In the first three games of the season, when the Bengals still had DJ Reader in the middle of their defense, Cincinnati was allowing 86 rushing yards per game and 3.7 yards per carry, both top 10 in the NFL. In three games without DJ, they're allowing 156 rushing yards per game and 5.6 per carry. The Saints had a whopping 228 yards on the ground last week. Now, they face an Atlanta team that runs 70% of the time on first down, the highest percentage in the league. With Reader, Josh Tupo, and Jeff Gunter all unavailable on the D-line and linebacker Logan Wilson questionable with a shoulder injury, one of the guys who will be counted on to play a bigger role is defensive tackle Jay Tufele, who was claimed off waivers from Jacksonville at the end of training camp. I spoke with him this week. Jay, you made your Bengals debut last week and played a big role in the win, six tackles, and that was in just 23 defensive snaps. Describe what it meant to you to get your first opportunity to contribute and to play well in a win. Oh, man, I'm, I'm very grateful, very grateful. Uh, first off, I just want to, you know, all glory goes to them, you know, the most high God. I'm always putting first. Um, but for me, the most part, it was just, you know, I wanted to, you know, make sure that uh, I could help my brothers and, uh, you know, step up and uh, be able to make plays and, uh, you know, be able to come out with this win. So, you know, it was a big team effort. Um, I was just playing my part, doing my role. And, uh, you know, I'm really grateful that, you know, they was counting on me. And, uh, you know, I don't want to let my, my teammates down. That's, that's the biggest thing for me. So I was very grateful. We're chatting with Jay Tufele. DJ Reader's been out for a few weeks. Josh Tupo hurt his calf last week. They are both excellent against the run. Do you consider that to be your strength? Uh, yeah, I mean, I've, I've always been, uh, you know, been able to play the run. Uh, really well, you know, throughout uh, uh, high school and college. And uh, for me, you know, it was just being able to watch those guys in front of me, uh, DJ and, and Big Tupo, and, uh, you know, watch how they play and, and then, you know, just uh, piggyback off of that and, you know, try uh, try to do my best to, to correlate, you know, what they, what, they're, what, uh, what they do. Obviously, I can't, you know, the, those guys are hell of players. Uh, you know, they're, they're beasts in their own right. So for me, you know, it was, it was just – Really awesome to you know come in there and, and be able to you know be uh, counted on and, and uh, know that you know you, uh, we gonna stop the run and uh, it's just the next man up so it was, it was really awesome. You had a broken hand last year in your rookie season with Jacksonville and missed part of the season. How eager are you to show what you can do given regular playing time in the NFL? Oh man, I'm I'm really uh, you know I'm really excited. I'm really eager to. Uh, you know, just to prove myself, uh, to show, you know, my teammates uh, that, you know, I'm, I'm here to win games and, and I'm, I'm here, you know, I'm all in uh, for this team. And, you know, I'm going to give, you know, my heart and soul and, and uh, you know, everything I got into this game because I love it. And I just want to prove to my teammates and, uh, you know, the, everybody else uh, in the league that, you know, I'm, uh, I'm here to, to be great and, uh, you know, 
um, I'm just really blessed to be here in this organization and, and be with the Bengals, so uh, it's awesome. We're chatting with J2 Fele, Bengals defensive lineman. You went through training camp with Jacksonville. I assume they were planning to put you on the practice squad uh, after the end of uh, training camp, but the Bengals swooped in and uh, claimed you off waivers, and I know they were really happy to bring you into this organization. I imagine that's kind of a whirlwind, though, when you're going through that as a player. What was that like for you? I'm not going to lie. It was, it was a whirlwind, uh, really, um, really tough, you know, uh, thinking that, you know, you're, you're going to be in, uh, in one place, and the next thing you know, uh, your whole world gets flipped over. But uh, for me, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm used to, you know, I'm used, I'm used to be putting into like awkward situations, and you know, for me, it's just putting my best foot forward and, and going to work, and uh, you know, the opportunity came and uh, Cincinnati called, and I was all for it. You know, I was for me, I was going to give them, uh, you know, my heart and soul, and, and show them that you know I deserve to be in this league, and uh, you know why they picked me, and. Uh, for that, it was it was really hard, you know, to leave my teammates out in Jacksonville. I had a lot of, you know good friends, uh, good good guys, but you know it's a business at the end of the day, and I'm really grateful that I'm I'm here in this organization and uh, and we're able to play some really good football and and to learn some from some uh, really good uh, really good players on my team. So I'm, I'm I'm blessed in that way. You've been here now for about a month and a half. What stands out about your coaches and teammates here? Oh man. Uh, I mean, from the first day I walked in, uh, it was uh, it was all love. Um, everybody, uh, you know, I, I can tell that everybody uh, is always. There's no one ever, you know, left out. They always want everybody included in, in everything, and and we, you know, we do everything together, and uh, we're able to just feed off each other. And I think that's the biggest thing, you know, is uh, you know, offense. You know, when defensive guys are out there making plays, you know, the offense starts feeding off of that, and then we start feeding off of them. And uh, you know, next thing you know, the you know the wheels start rolling, and and we don't stop. So, you face the Atlanta Falcons this Sunday. They are number three in the NFL in rushing yards per game. They average 4.9 yards per carry. They've got eight rushing touchdowns. That's third best in the league. They run the ball 57% of the time. That's number two in the league. So when I give all of those numbers, it seems pretty obvious to me that stopping the run is going to be a, a major key to winning. Do you agree? Oh, yeah. I mean, every week, uh, you know, that's, a, that's the number one thing that, uh, you know, we pride ourselves is, you know, being able to stop the run. And, uh, you know, this week isn't any different. Uh, we're going to, you know, that's the number one priority is, is to be able to stop the run and then uh, let the guys go get after them and, uh and have some fun on, on uh, you know, pass rushing and, and uh, getting Mariota down. But, yeah, I mean, we're, that's the plan is, is to stop the run. And uh, we're going to – we have a lot of guys, you know, that are eager to just uh, show up and, and uh, prove to, prove to you know, everybody every week that, you know, we're, we're, uh, we're a hell of a defense. And, uh, you know, we're going we're gonna to keep on getting better every week. Final question for Jay Tufele. Domitov Pecco is here for 11 years. You're Samoan. Domitas Samoan, he used to call everybody his Uso, which I believe is the Samoan term for brother. He was one of the great leaders in franchise history. How has your Samoan background impacted you as a football player and as a person? Oh, man, it's a uh, big peckle, man. I look up to that guy uh, since I was, I was a little kid, uh, being able to watch uh, you know, NFL, and, and I'd always see big peckle. And for me, it means everything. Uh, my culture is everything. It's who I am. And... Uh, you know, I wear uh, uh, everything I do is is uh, 
is you know it, it shows it reflects uh, off of uh you know just my my people uh the small people and uh that's you know i carry them wherever i go so you know being able to have the big whistle uh you know being here and and you know being able to just know that you know he was he was he did what he did here you know was great and and uh it's just it's a blessing to to know that my culture uh has, has uh, really helped me shape me to who i am he was a fan favorite here for a decade. It's great to have you on the Bengals. Best of luck this week, and I appreciate your time. Yes, sir, I appreciate you. Thank you. Who day? The Bengals Booth Podcast is brought to you by Paycor. More than 29,000 customers trust Paycor to help them recruit, pay, engage, and retain employees. Learn more at Paycor.com. The Bengals are 3-3 three and three and tied for first in the AFC North. The Falcons are 3-3, three and three and tied for first in the NFC South with Tampa Bay. Now, time for this week's Know the Foe segment, as the voice of the Falcons, Wes Durham, joined Lap and Wayne Box-Miller on the Bengals Game Plan Show. It's been refreshing to watch Arthur Smith and, and Terry Fontenot, the GM, in their second year kind of build this thing a little bit. And I've used the term, uh, I think Falcon fans are probably tired of hearing me use the phrase layering. But Atlanta's done a really good job of, of finding a way to, to get the right guys to do the right job in certain areas, um, even to the quarterback. I think Marcus Mariota, you know, obviously it didn't end well in Nashville. He was a backup in Vegas, but he's come to Atlanta and he's, he's done a really nice job of following the face of the franchise and arguably the greatest player in team history in Matt Ryan. And, and he's an example of probably anywhere from eight to 12 guys who probably showed up to play for this team this year, Wayne, with a chip on their shoulder. And there are a handful of them. And, and Lap, you, you know who I'm talking about. You can identify them as well as anybody in this league. And Arthur has, has spun that into a productive, hard-playing, uh, kind of grinded football team. And they've been, uh, they've never, they're never out of a game. I mean, you got to remember, Sunday's two-touchdown win was Arthur Smith's first victory that was not one score as the Falcons head coach. Wow. I mean, it's just, it's, it's been that way since he took over here. So, you know, I, I'm excited about where they're going, but at the same time, I'm also cognizant that uh, there's a building process going on here and every Sunday can be different in this league. We all know that, right? Yes. And yes. Uh, it'll be a heck of a test on, uh, on Sunday for sure. You know, when, when you look at it, Wes, it's the Bengals and, and the, the Falcons have tracked identically to get to the three yeah. and three mark, lose their first two, yeah. win their next two, lose one, win yeah. one. And, and the Bengals are one in three in one-score games. Um, now, they, they've won two games by two scores, and the Falcons have won one game by two scores. That's the only difference in the way that their seasons have unfolded. So both teams have experienced the same thing. You know, it comes down to who's going to make the one play and avoid the one mistake to win the football game, and both teams have uh, seen a lot of that this year. There's no question. And, you know, it's interesting because obviously you guys had a great run last year to the Super Bowl, and you've got a lot of those principles back of a very, very talented team. You go through the free agency that everybody does when you have success and that type thing. But they may be at, at, at similar spots in the road. I think Zach Taylor's done a terrific job as the Bengals coach. I think what Arthur Smith's done here is admirable. But they're both probably, you know, they may have their best football ahead of them. You're ahead of the game in respect that Burrow is a proven commodity. Chase is a proven commodity. You're running it well with Mixon. And your defense was kind of already there. Now, you've lost some of those guys, 
But at the same time, I think I see a lot of similarities in who the Bengals and who the Falcons are for sure. You know, you guys had a, a big road win in Seattle. Uh, what does this team do well on the road, and, and what need, do they need to do well against Cincinnati? Well, I'd say they probably need to start well Sunday because it looks like on paper Cincinnati starts well, right? Uh, you know, Atlanta, I see that big scoring differential in the second half, and if Atlanta doesn't start well, then I know the Bengals can close. Uh, I just see the, the numbers on paper here. So it's going to get interesting. I, I think Atlanta has to keep the game in front of them, Wayne, and that sounds like real coach speak. I didn't for a radio announcer to say that, but <laughs> I, I think that I think there's a lot of truth in it. Atlanta has to come out and run the ball. They don't have Cordero Patterson. Uh, they are now running it by committee. Mariota doesn't get himself typically in trouble. He moves around the pocket. The defense made some uh, some plays the other day to force turnovers. I think that's going to be a big part of what Sunday is, too. If they can create a turnover or two, I think they give themselves a chance. Yeah, they're plus two in the turnover ratio, uh, which is tied for seventh best in the NFL, and you always have a chance if you are in that plus category. Dean Pease, the defensive coordinator, I remember when he was at Baltimore, that simulated pressure zone blitz combination package that he has where you've got a, guy, a lot of guys in the line of scrimmage. You don't know which ones are coming, but some of them are coming, you know, and, and you might drop a defensive end and blitz a linebacker or blitz a safety or a slot corner or whatever, and then he mixes up his coverages on the back end, at least he did in Baltimore. Is he doing the same type of thing in Atlanta? Is he giving, uh, giving those kind of looks? He sure is, Dave. And the other thing, too, Atlanta won Sunday with their – their most productive tackler, at least one of them, sideline, and Michael Walker, and they had a rookie, Troy Anderson, respond uh, yeah. in a very fine in a very fine way. So I, I would even say that, you know, they've even developed some depth behind that blitzing package that uh, that he's done so well for sure. You know, one player I wanted to ask you about, he just has seemed to anchor himself as an Atlanta Falcon, is Grady Jarrett, and uh, just mm. continues to play well, thirty career sacks, I believe. But what about him impresses you the most? Oh, God, Wayne. Um, I think, you know, the, the one thing I'll tell you about Grady Jarrett is he's learned to be a pro. I mean, he's he is absolutely, with Ryan gone, he's the face of the franchise. There's no question in my mind about that. He's the guy that's taken the leadership role in the community, has been the leadership guy in the community for, for a couple of years. But Grady's one of those guys who I think the future of the Atlanta Falcons is going to revolve around how good 97 is. And you know what? He kind of um, – it's funny – he arrived a year ahead of Aaron Donald in the league. And when you think about it, he and Aaron Donald, even though Donald's obviously won a Super Bowl and been an MVP, Grady Jarrett sacked Tom Brady three times in Super Bowl 51, right? Um, you're talking about a guy who he and Donald, in my opinion, have kind of lap redefined that, you know, undersized, the guys perceived to be undersized defensive tackles, right? And uh, and they're the two guys that come to mind with me when uh, when we talk about that position in the NFL for sure. Yeah, currently I agree. The guy who reminds me of a little bit in Bengals history, Geno Atkins, kind of the undersized, yeah. you know, real explosive, um, just, you know, just un unbelievably unblockable with the, the six-feet-tall, 300-pound kind of guy, you know, that has got that, that upfield quickness and the first step and all those sort of things. I mean, uh, he's kind of in that, in, that, uh, in that neighborhood with me when I watch him. I mean, two-time pro bowler that's just a game record at defensive tackle. Usually they're more so, you know, outside at the edge position. He's a game record inside like Aaron Donald. I agree with you. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's interesting to watch, and those guys have certainly developed well. And, 
you know, but it's it's got to be a package deal for for Atlanta to be successful. I mean, they have to they have to play complimentary football. They they've been pretty successful. You know, Bradley Pinion, the punters, having his best year. Young Waku is one of the top kickers in the league, and you know, even Avery Williams is leading the league in in punt return yardage. So they've got to play all three phases in order to uh, to be successful, and certainly they'll have to do that on Sunday because that's a great environment. You guys are you guys are fortunate. You got one of the great venues in the NFL, and you know, it's a program that's in a franchise that's been successful. Um, you know, it'll it'll be quite a challenge for Atlanta. Tell me about Avery Williams. Uh, he he converted converted from from running back to wide, uh, defensive back to wide receiver. You know, he's a he's a factor there. But I mean, he's a punt returner, number one in the NFL, seventeen point eight per per return, twenty four point three kick return. If he had enough returns, he'd be in the top five there as well. This guy right. must be uh you know just slippery in space huh yeah it's player development and marquise williams does a great job with teams too i mean they've got a plan in that phase of the game and you know last year they kind of struggled with it to be honest and this year you've seen like the maturation of of some of these younger guys that you'll see carry the ball on sunday i would throw avery williams into that maturation spot and you know it's a hell of a gamble now you take a guy who was a db in college you know he showed up out of uh out of jay sarah california in high school he had played running back in high school, but he did not he did not have an offensive carry day as a Boise State player for four years. Wow, he never wow. touched the ball as a running back. And after a year or so in the league, they decide they're gonna move him to running back during the OTAs. And the first time I saw him in kind of those one on one drills as a running back, I thought, well, you know, they wouldn't be doing this unless they had a plan. And yeah. sure enough they've had a plan and he's played a little bit of running back and now with the Patterson injury, quite frankly, they've needed it. Talk about Kyle Pitts for a second, uh, a guy that had a great year last year. I mean, is he as advertised? Yeah, yeah, he is. And the problem is, is that, you know, every other time he'd been in the red zone in his professional career, there have been two guys. And then Kyle Shanahan, I guess, he and D'Amico Ryans figured out they didn't need to double-team him the other day, and you saw what happened, right? <laughs> so, I mean, you know, he gets his first touchdown on U.S. soil. His only other touchdown catch had been against the Jets in London as a rookie. So, yeah, he's a terrific player, but – He's also benefited from Drake London being there too, Wayne. Don't make, don't get that part twisted now. Remember, they did not have Calvin Ridley after the first four games last year. Kyle right. Pitts had to kind of go it alone, um, and it really took away a lot of what Atlanta was going to do in the throw game. But now with Drake London and Lamaze Zacchaeus developing the way he is, I think Atlanta's uh, they're ascending in, in terms of throwing the football for sure. A lot of people uh, listening to the show right now are UC Bearcat fans. Desmond Ritter is the, is the yeah. backup quarterback to Marcus Mariota. Desmond Ritter is a, is a legend at University of Cincinnati. How's it gone for Desmond Ritter? What's his uh, what's his his future look like with the organization? You know what? The night the day they drafted him, lap I called Dan. I just flat called him. I said, "Okay, what's yeah. the story?" And right. and he wrote he he texted me back. He said, "Great kid and a winner," and I can I yeah. can verify that he is a great kid and a winner. And every Bearcat fan in the in the Queen City ought to be thrilled. Desmond's going to get an opportunity at some point, I think, to quarterback the team. I just don't know that it's going to be this year. And right. and I think he's okay with it. And I think the franchise is. You know, Marcus is uh, Marcus is kind of that placeholder a little bit, and he's doing a nice job. But I, I can see where they're excited about Desmond Ritter. We saw him in the preseason. He did some really good things. He had those rookie orientation moments, like all of them. Do. But at the same time, I, there's no mistaking why he was so successful at UC. There's no 
you can't you cannot see it. I mean, he is so good and so smooth when he plays, and he's got that poise that you look for in guys who can play a long time in the league. Our thanks to West Durham, and here's an invitation to join Lap and Box at the Wings and Rings location in Union, Kentucky, for the Bengals Pep Rally Show this Friday from 3 to 6. Their special guests will be Doug Pelfrey and Stanley Morgan. That's going to do it for this episode of the Bengals Booth Podcast, presented by Kettering Health, the official health care provider of the Bengals. By Bengals Picks and Ultimate Bengals, they're free to play with tickets and signed merchandise up for grabs. By Paycor, the official HR software provider of the Bengals. And by AltaFiber, future-proof fiber internet. Elevate your connection with AltaFiber. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to this podcast, and if you have a minute, give it a rating or share a comment. That helps more Bengals fans find us. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.